This is Solidarity News on Radio Labour. This is a Radio Labour World Report recorded on Friday, January 29th, 2021. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, the massive loss of working hours last year, how hundreds of thousands of seafarers are trapped on their ships, the Labour Start report about union events and singing. Things were bad, but things got changed. This is Radio Labour. Last year, as the effects of COVID-19 hit workplaces, 9% of global working hours were lost, the equivalent of 255 million full-time jobs. This is four times greater than the number of jobs lost during the 2009 global financial crisis. The depressing job figures are included in the latest edition of the ILO Monitor. The ILO is the UN specialized agency focused on matters of work in the world. It is headed for the first time in its 101-year history by a trade unionist, Guy Ryder. Mr. Ryder, the Director General of the ILO, presented the results of the Monitor survey in an online media conference. The ILO has been tracking the impact of COVID-19 on the world of work since March of last year. And this, our seventh edition of our COVID monitor, looks back at the entirety, the whole of 2020, and it includes the latest data that we have on the effects of the pandemic. This includes on working hour losses, on income losses, on unemployment, and on inactivity, and contains as well data broken down by region, uh, by country, age, gender, income group, and sector. We also set out some of the key criteria, some of the key issues that we believe will need to be addressed if we are to ensure that recovery really is sustainable, equitable, and inclusive, which, of course, we wish to see. So I want to highlight some of the key points So let me start by looking at uh, labour markets in the year that's just concluded, 2020. And above all, this edition of the Monitor confirms the massive impact of COVID-19 on labour markets in 2020. This has been the most severe crisis for the world of work since the Great Depression of the 1930. Its impact is far greater than that of the global financial crisis of 2009. When comparing with the last quarter of 2019, we now see that 8.8% of global working hours were lost in the course of the year. And that is the equivalent of 255 million full-time jobs. So overall last year, the loss of working hours was 8.8% of the total, And I repeat, that is the equivalent of 255 million full-time jobs lost. Now, if you look at this total figure a little bit more closely, what we see is about half of the lost working hours can be accounted for by reduced hours of work for those still in employment. The rest uh, has come from unprecedented levels of loss of employment. And here, a total of 114 million people have been affected. 
What I think is particularly concerning is that the great majority of this loss of employment, 71%, and that is the equivalent of 81 million people, has, transla has translated into labor market inactivity. These people have simply dropped out of the labor market. Either they are unable to work, perhaps because of pandemic restrictions or social obligations, or they've given up looking for work. And so their talents, their skills, their energy have been lost. Lost to their families, lost to our society, lost to us all. As a consequence of all of this, there have been massive losses in global labor market income, equivalent, and this is before income support, equivalent to 3.7 trillion US dollars. An extraordinary figure. One of the sectors most grievously affected by the pandemic has been seafaring. As the pandemic hit, more than 400,000 seafarers were kept on their ships, and at least another 400,000 were kept from starting their new contracts. Meanwhile, the aviation industry, which seafarers depend on to get back home, has been devastated. It should be remembered that it is the world's seafarers who are transporting essential personal equipment to help confront the pandemic. In an effort to help the seafarers and improve their conditions in the future, more than 300 corporations and other organizations have signed a pledge to tackle the crew change crisis and improve health protocols. They have approved the Neptune Declaration, which is designed to hold companies responsible for the working conditions they impose. To find out more about the declaration, I talked to Steve Cotton. Mr. Cotton is the General Secretary of the International Transport Workers Federation. The ITF has 20 million members in 667 unions around the world. I asked Mr. Cotton first to describe the crisis amongst the seafarers. Since the impact of the initial outbreak in early 2020, uh, the highest numbers we believe, because it's not, it's not an exact science, is uh, 400,000. But if you have 400,000 on board ships, but if you imagine frankly, all seafarers are impacted by the logistic challenges of joining ships. Because we have an international workforce, it's overly dependent on civil aviation, and the civil aviation has been decimated by the process. We've seen that 400,000 literally on board, but our estimation, if you use the word impact, is double that, and different times people either on board for over-contract or people at home trying to get to work has had a massive impact. Particularly worrying at the moment is the latest mutation. Um, countries like the Philippines, who we've worked very closely with our big unions, biggest seafarer supplying country in the world, the mutation has now seen uh, up to 37 countries on their list of restrictions because of this new variant of the, the COVID-19. 327 companies and organizations have signed what is called the Neptune Declaration. What is the declaration and what does it call on ship owners to do? This is a global maritime forum where the ITF has been active in this process. I think throughout this period, we've been working very closely with the International Maritime Organization and the International Labor Organization about the enforcement of maritime regulations in the IMO and International Labor Organization regulations in the ILO. And Neptune is a kind of coalition of the willing 
made up of ship owners, charterers, who've recognised that we need to raise the standard and protect seafarers in the most dynamic of ways. And that challenge has come about with protocols we've worked collaboratively with the International Chamber of Shipping, the ICS, that were then ratified by the IMO about pre-embarkation testing, PCR testing, pre-embarkation isolation, all these issues. And what we see here is what we would describe as the better companies saying we've got to do more and we need to commit. The four points of action that they're calling on are primarily recognising seafarers as key workers and giving them priority access COVID-19 vaccinations, establishing and implementing gold standard health protocols based on these practices we've developed with the industry, increased collaboration between ship operators and their charters to ensure safe and on-time crew changes, ensuring, and this one is very challenging because we don't have civil aviation in the middle of it, ensuring air connectivity between critical maritime hubs for seafarers. Here with his report is Labour Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Each day, Labour Start's volunteers collect hundreds of news items about the struggles of workers and their unions from around the world in 36 languages. Here's a small sample of their work. Our top story section included links to coverage of a joint statement by Polish, Israeli, and German unions on the 76th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. Threats to the existence of a central trade union in Kazakhstan and more on the efforts being made by Google workers to organize globally. The emerging trend in our news coverage this week is the extent to which the pandemic has provided employers with cover for attacks on labor rights as basic as the right to be paid for the work that we perform. In countries as varied as Georgia, Cambodia, Australia, Romania, Vietnam, Kenya, Colombia, South Africa, Malaysia, Peru, and in China, workers and unions are reporting a huge increase in cases of wage theft. In some instances, and as expected, the pandemic has resulted in the temporary or permanent closure of workplaces, with employers essentially running off with the company's liquid assets. This leaves workers owed pay. In many cases, months of wages are lost. Another pattern is being seen, though, and that is one in which the employer maintains its operations and may even see an increase in business as a direct result of the pandemic. Production expands, workers are asked or required to work longer hours or to perform work which is usually paid at a much higher rate. Citing the emergency and the confusion resulting from it, employers then tell workers that the additional monies owed them will soon be paid. But that never happens. In some cases, thousands of workers producing critical medical supplies and equipment are owed huge amounts of back wages resulting from almost a year of going full out to produce the goods we need to fight the virus. For our Working Women page, our volunteers found news of the positive results of women banana workers organizing in Guatemala, the exposure of widespread sexual harassment in the South African public sector, and the news that several countries ratified ILO Convention 190 in the past week. 
The free health and safety newswire we offer in cooperation with Hazards Magazine carried stories about how the pandemic has reactivated and improved public perceptions of healthcare unions in the United States. The health problems posed by South Africa's schools as the pandemic rages and why Canadian workplaces are becoming the primary point of infection for COVID-19. Our current photo of the week is of the flag of a Hong Kong trade union that has been forced to dissolve rather than see its members lose their jobs as civil servants as a direct result of the new national security law imposed by Beijing. Current campaigns that we are running at the request of unions around the world include an urgent appeal for online solidarity with two women trade union prisoners of conscience being held in an Algerian prison. Look for details of this and other campaigns on our site. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here are John Langford and the Winkle Brothers with Plenty Tough and Union Made. From the country to the town, police and buses held us down. Back at the start when the ground was laid, Plenty Tough and Union Made. I don't think the king woke up one morning, said all the people should be better paid. No, things were bad but things got changed. That's it. International labor news you can use. You can find our features and daily newscasts at radiolabor.net. I'm Mark Belanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity.